0: It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents...
1: 99 yards away. win
0: this game for one another. The Final Drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The Final Drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it!
2: Welcome to a Wednesday edition of The Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner joining you on this Hump Day Wednesday. And as always, you can give us a call here at 251 251- 694-1055 or you can reach us in the app. We always love to correspond with you in the app as well. Michael Bronner, good afternoon. How's everything going, my brother? Good afternoon to you, Corey. It is uh it's
3: going well. You know, it's a uh, what
2: what is it? Wednesday. It's a Wednesday edition because you have your your double team or your podcast that throw it deep. You're gonna be throwing it deep right around five thirty, and keeping us up to date with everything that's going on
3: in the NFL. That's right. It's gonna be good stuff. We'll be t- we'll be uh, grading last year's first year head coach hiring great or at least reviewing our grades from last year on the first he- first year head coach hirings. There were ten of them, as well as uh, five, giving five grades to this year's first head first year head. Geez, this tongue twister. First year head coach hirings, and uh, you know we'll revisit those about a year down the line and see how we do
2: scheduled to join us this afternoon kenny king daphne high school's athletic director and head football coach ryan Ballengee will give us an update and a preview of what to expect in the u.s open and in studio with this mobile's finest segment here in studio will be ty goodwill and we're, we're excited that Ty is going to be joining us to sign the Faith Academy jersey that we have here in the WNSP studio. And he's one of those underrated high school wide receivers that that a lot of people are sleeping on. But I will say this, what people are not sleeping on is the fact that here after the final drive concludes and after your Throw It Deep podcast is over at 6 o'clock, the sec network will have the unveiling of the conference schedule that's going to be upcoming here and there's a lot of buzz and excitement that's being generated about this 2024 sec football schedule
3: yeah so as kind of happens every year in the nfl you know, as we lead up the schedule release dates, games get leaked, and that's kind of what happened this morning. Yeah. Found out a couple of big pieces of Alabama's schedule in 2024. So Alabama is going to be hosting the Georgia Bulldogs as they did in 2020 in the COVID season, where they defeated them 41 to 24 little bit of a different vibe now that georgia's the back-to-back defending national champion very well could be the three-time defending national champion by the time that game is played but alabama also going to be going to oklahoma so that'll be interesting as well they're going to be hosting south carolina as well as for the rest of the schedule i guess we'll find out tonight but three big nuggets there one of them being that we know the fact the marquee game of 2024 is going to be georgia coming to tuscaloosa again
2: well also when these leaks come out You're trying to figure out, okay, well, we all know that the Georgia Bulldogs have one cream puff of a schedule here in 2023, which will probably lead to them having an opportunity to defend Mm. their back-to-back national championships. But here it is, Georgia traveling to Texas to face the Longhorns reportedly in 2024, and Texas... Having a home game against Georgia and road games at Texas A and M and Arkansas and that Red River rivalry that they call it will also play Oklahoma in Dallas. So I mean, a little bit of when you have Oklahoma coming into your conference, Texas coming into your conference, you're getting quality opponents and quality football programs that are just going to enhance what you do have. And and I say. You know, Oklahoma versus Texas in the Cotton Bowl. Georgia keeping their robberies with Auburn, Florida, and Tennessee. And Alabama will play at Tennessee and LSU. Texas A&M hosts LSU and gets Arkansas at AT&T Stadium in Arlington. Not really any shockers in regards to the unveiling or the leaking of of these schedules but you do love to see quality opponents and it hasn't gone great for georgia the last time that they came <laughs> into brian denny
3: there are a lot of mad georgia fans on twitter and message boards about the prospect of having to go to alabama again you know i poor poor them feel really 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 just sad and devastated for them the fact that they have to come to alabama and you know, they very well may be favored in that game. Who knows? I, I would doubt it. Well, Again, there's a lot of unanswered questions that will get answered this year before we can even really start thinking about that. But it is nice to be able to look ahead and know that Alabama is going to be hosting Georgia. But they're not happy. And I understand why. I probably wouldn't be happy if Alabama had gone to Georgia in 2020 and then has to go to Georgia in 2024. But, you know, it is what it is. Get no, over it. I, I don't have a problem whether you have to go on the road or
2: whether it's a home game, because a lot of these schools do two-for-ones and three-for-ones anyway. Now, you don't see that happening in conference, per se, but with Georgia coming to Tuscaloosa, again, you you bet your bottom dollar that you're going to have a great, great matchup. And I'm looking forward to that matchup because what you have now is possibly – the three-time defending national champions coming in your backyard, and you have an opportunity to give them one of those losses. And we know with divisionless football coming... I,
3: ideally, they're not the three-time defending national champions, but... And,
2: but if, that, if that's the case, that means that Kirby Smart and the Bulldogs did everything that they needed to do this coming 2023 season to take care of their schedule. And now that you're having... Divisionless football. The schedule is not going to get easier for Georgia, and it's tremendously easy now for them this year. But they just have to take care of business, and you're going to play the games that are in front of you. I don't think you know people. Kirby Smart probably every single week is going to have to answer the question, "Will." Why don't you guys or why didn't you guys play this person? Or your schedule is soft. Your schedule is weak. And, and again, it goes back to Gene Stallings' old saying, if you don't think that the schedule in front of you is important, lose one of them and see what it means. Mm -hmm. So those games that everyone is saying Georgia is supposed to win and how they're able to run the table this college football season and make it to the SEC championship game, nothing is a given. And especially with the new schedule that is gonna be presented tonight, again, Georgia, it's definitely not gonna get easier with the additions of Oklahoma and Texas.
3: Well, luckily for Georgia, it's also just so happens to coincide with the switching to a twelve team playoff as well. So, you know, even if you lose two games, you're still gonna have an opportunity to play for a national championship in all likelihood, barring complete and utter disaster, which I don't think is going to happen. I think you know, maybe Georgia loses two games. I don't even think they lose two games. You play at Texas, you play at Alabama. I think you win one of them, uh, more than likely at Texas. But we'll see. I mean, Texas could be a machine by that point. Quinn Ewers could be the best quarterback in the country. Who knows? But all this being said, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what's the quarterback matchup in Georgia, Georgia, Alabama in 2024. Is it Dylan Rayola for Georgia? Is Carson Beck secured himself as the starter for Georgia? Is is freshman stud Julian Sayan starting for Alabama after yeah. a terrible season for? I, Jalen miller ty simpson tyler buckner wh- whatever name you want to throw in there does julian say and throw his hat in the ring to start as a freshman uh, it's again you know this is a year and a half down the line so it, it's kind of pointless to try to guess what's going to happen now but it is fun for sure what what about texas and texas a and m that that's a
2: matchup that i know when they say everything's bigger in texas and the eyes mm. of texas are upon you you have texas and texas a and You're definitely fighting and jockeying for all type of oil and alumni money, for sure. (laughs) I I just think that— Not the oil money. er, Yeah, everything's bigger in Texas, but Texas having to go to Arkansas, I thought that the fact that every current conference school will play either Texas or Oklahoma when they come in, that's big-time news
3: as well. Like within what time period?
2: I, I want to say it's in that 2024 season because when you Texas or
3: Oklahoma. Oh, 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 oh. Or, I was going to say. Or, I feel like that and. math doesn't add up. Yeah. <laughs> not
2: and, but or. Okay, that makes sense. So That's cool. Conf- yeah, I mean, the fact that you're going to have them playing either Texas or Oklahoma. Okay in every single SEC team that's currently in the league, that will make it a little bit more exciting. And and also the fact that, you know, you you go as a recruit, you go on campus to these different universities, and you have an opportunity to, to see the coaches in action. How many other coaches do you think in college football actually get out and really participate and go through stretches and exercises <laughs> with the campers? Probably not many. No, uh... I would say not many. Not many at all. But but Nick Saban is definitely one of those coaches who said, look, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to hit my leg raises. I'm going to go ahead and get my stretches in. And Coach Saban having a hip replacement – in twenty nineteen at seventy one years old, no spring chicken, but it's a way to stay loose to where when he's ready to try to demonstrate some of these defensive back drills that he still says he has in him. Antonio Langham talked about it on yesterday. Nick Saban's that defensive guy, and sometimes you feel like you have to be hands on, but Nick Saban stretching it out with the campers. I think it gives you kind of credibility. Yeah. So a little bit of credibility standpoint.
3: How are we feeling about the fact that 71 year old Nick Saban, who had a hip replacement in 2019 is, is probably in better shape than you or I.
2: Well, that, that is probably a known fact. That, that is a known fact. And, and you can't argue with him having probably the, the best trainer in the country, Jeff Allen at his disposal there to help him out. But I just love the fact that when you become interactive with your campers and you go through the same type of stretches that they're going through, and at 71 years old, Nick Saban still has a lot of gas in the tank, showing that he's not
3: ready to give it up anytime soon. Yeah, it's encouraging for you know those who hope Nick Saban be around for the next five years or so. I think uh, I think he'll be around a little bit.
2: Yeah, I, I I I definitely have to agree with you on that one, and. Not only from a football standpoint, as, as we get ready to prepare for this first break, wanted to go ahead and and really pay our condolences to one of the nation's top prospects, a defensive lineman, upcoming here, six foot three, two hundred and fifty pound, from the state of Tennessee. Batesville, Mississippi, is where he perished. Deion Stutz he had committed to Arkansas and he was involved in a utility vehicle accident and he passed away tragically this week and Michael you hate to see a loss of life at 17 or 18 years old especially when you're catching a young athlete not even close to being in his prime passing away in a in a vehicle accident and also up north in north alabama baseball player from hewitt trussville grayson pope one of the weirdest stories that you'll ever hear is on a golf course while there was a thunderstorm a tree falls and hits his golf cart and he has to be rushed to the hospital and has surgery brain surgery to to relieve the swelling so our continued prayers For Grayson Pope as well, he is committed to Tennessee to play baseball. And I know that that is a tragic story that we hopefully will have a happy ending. But our definite prayers and condolences out to Deion Stutz after having lost his life in Batesville, Mississippi, one of the nation's top defensive linemen not getting an opportunity to continue his life so our prayers and condolences from the final drive for those two young men and we definitely wish Grayson Pope the best in his recovery the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 Corey Labonte along with my producer Michael Brawner joining you on this hump day Wednesday
1: this is Brad Nessler and you're listening to WNSP 105.5 in Mobile
2: Welcome back to The Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner joining you this Wednesday afternoon and scheduled to join us at 3.30. Kenny King, the head football coach at Daphne High School and athletic director as well. and 4 o'clock, Ryan Ballingy will talk and prepare us for the U.S. Open and... Future ones, Gus Smith and Trent Massey also joining us this afternoon in studio. Ty Goodwill also joining us here on the final drive for our Mobile's Finest. And, of course, one of the biggest topics that Auburn has with Hugh Freeze is the fact that from a recruiting standpoint, he definitely was going to hit the ground running. And right here in Mobile, Alabama, he got a commitment from someone who's only been playing football at Baker entering his second year for Steve Norman Baker wide receiver Bryce Kane committed to Auburn on yesterday and it's one of those that you you wonder why in a second year of football Hugh Freeze would would offer a wide receiver well when you run a 4-3 or a 4-4 and you're in a situation to where you know that you're going to be playing for a coach who loves to throw the football then Michael Brawner it, it makes it plenty of sense for Hugh Freeze to recognize immediately that Bryce Kane is an absolute rocket coming off the line of scrimmage.
3: Yeah, so I saw the commitment over the weekend, and then you inf- you informed me today that He's only been playing football for a year, which is just unbelievable to think about. You know, he's has a committable offer to Auburn after only playing football for a year, so he really must be that quick. He's only gonna get better too. You have to assume. I mean, he, he's literally been playing football for a year, and uh, is committed to a major SEC program. So, you know, awesome for him, and uh, we'll, we'll, we certainly will be watching him closely this season.
2: Well, what the great thing is too, when you have a quarterback who has SEC talent and Josh Flowers throwing you the football, it makes it so much easier for you because if he can get off the line of scrimmage, then I guarantee Josh is going to find him a way to get him the football. And Auburn picked up another commitment, and this one coming from the state of Florida, a four-star defensive back, Kinsley Faustin. And, you know, Faustin is is 5'11", 170 but when you look at having offers from Florida and Florida State, Arkansas, Tennessee, Miami, and being a Florida guy, Hugh Freeze dipping in down to the Panhandle and being able to come away with another outstanding prospect, and that's another commitment for Hugh Freeze. It's
3: the type of recruit that Brian Harson couldn't dream of bringing in. <laughs> really, I mean, not the so he's what a four-star guy. Yeah, I mean. You know, Brian Harson recruiting out of state from the panhandle, just two things that don't mix. But obviously Hugh Freeze has greatly widened that base and uh, done a great job doing it. So, you know, just more good recruiting news. They got the number three transfer portal class coming in. You know, we've spent a lot of time talking about how many games can this Auburn team win in 2023. I, I believe it's it's eight. In a ceiling situation and everything goes right situation there's like five guaranteed wins on that schedule obviously you're bringing in twenty three new guys or whatever the whatever the number is up to at this point it feels like it goes up every single day uh so I don't know we'll see i, I, I do i don't know what what was your final uh final decision on on auburn's record in twenty twenty three i'm definitely gonna give five
2: them, i'm definitely gonna give them se- i'm gonna give them six wins for sure seven. Would be that stretch that meant they beat someone in the SEC that they were not favored to beat, but seven wins is what I'm going to give Auburn this year. I actually to go, be very generous.
3: I actually go eight and four for 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 Auburn. Eight yeah, and four. I'm drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit.
2: Well, I, I mean, it's okay to drink the Auburn Kool-Aid, and eight and four is a lot better than. Make no mistake.
3: I hope I'm wrong.
2: <laughs> well, well, look, even if you are. Correct. The Auburn fan base at eight and four, I think, would be doing more than jumping jacks and cartwheels for an eight and four record.
3: You got to figure that's losses to Georgia, probably at LSU, maybe one of the Mississippi schools. I think they have both at home, and maybe the Iron Bowl. I mean, that's four. That's four. I mean, they got five free wins on there. You got to win that game at A Week Four. Yeah,
2: that's to me. That's going to be huge. That's the biggest game Early. of the season. I
3: mean, because they're going to start three and zero. It's UMass, Cal, and New Mexico State. I think I can't even or I can't even remember who the third one is. But, but what
2: you're what you're starting with is an opportunity. Or Samford, by to, the way, to, to, to be going in the right direction. And in year one, if you're able to establish strong footing in showing that the program is in a a transitional stage, which I think is huge for Auburn and Hugh Freeze. You 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 didn't get any, You didn't get much out of your other coach at all, Brian Harson, as far as recruiting and depth. Even if he was a great X and O guy, you still have to have depth in the SEC to win. And if you're not getting depth in the SEC, you don't have a chance. It doesn't matter what kind of X's and O coach you are. It doesn't matter how many great Cadillacs or how many great defensive coaches you have. It's not going to matter. And I think that (laughs) how many Cadillacs? Yeah, I mean, it it, 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 doesn't matter because Cadillac showed what he could do with a lot of energy. But you just need depth. And that's what it takes to be able to get those four and five stars. And, And why has Nick Saban been so successful at Alabama? Why has he been so successful at Michigan State? Why has he been so successful at LSU? It's because not only the process, but when you're able to develop the talent, that's the biggest thing, developing the talent, because you have guys that are sitting and waiting, and in today's day and age, the more and more we go 23, 24, 25, 26 into the season, you're going to see guys wanting to sit less and less, but... When you're three and four deep at a position and you know if you wait until your turn, you're going to have an opportunity to where Nick Saban has developed talent. Everywhere he's been, he's produced pros, whether it's three-star talent, whether it's four-star talent, whether it's five-star talent. Very rarely, if you come in as a five-star athlete, do you not leave a Nick Saban coach team – And make it to the NFL, at least being drafted in rounds one through seven. You may not be that first round draft pick, but I guarantee you're going to find yourself in a situation to where you are going to be drafted. It's part of the process. And that's part of what Coach Hugh Freeze, I think, wants to establish as well, because with depth comes competition and competition every single day. Antonio Langham talked about it yesterday. You're a 1992 national champion because you're going against David Palmer, Sherman Williams, Dabo Sweeney, Jay Barker. Every single day of practice to where you get in the game, it becomes easy. Kenny King, the head football coach at Daphne, and athletic director as well, scheduled to join us next here on The Final Drive. Welcome back to The Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. Kenny King still participating in 7-on-7 activities today. So he'll jump on with us right around 4.30. So Kenny King will join us at 4.30. And we were talking a little bit before we went to the break uh, about some of the things that really are going on in in college football as far as from a scheduling standpoint, but also the fact that today you had the highest earning athletic revenue for collegiate programs. And that was an interesting topic about revenue and and what schools were making and generating what kind of money. And if you had to try to figure out what collegiate program was Averaging or having the highest revenue earning in 2022. The highest earning revenue in 2022 was not Texas. And it was not Alabama. It was not Texas A&M. The number one highest revenue earning athletic program in 2022 was the Ohio State Buckeyes. And that's a pretty interesting figure at $252 million Dollars now coming in at number two is Texas at 239 million and Alabama right at 214 million. But the overall success of a program I don't know if you can measure the overall success of a program based on dollars or not, but Ohio State has been very competitive. Now, here's the top 10 list you have Ohio State at number one. Texas at number two, Alabama at three, Michigan at four, Georgia's at five, LSU at six, Texas A&M at seven, Florida at eight, Penn State at nine, and Oklahoma at ten. So look, and based upon the fact of the new looking SEC, Texas, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, A&M, Florida, seven of your ten are going to be and belong to the Southeastern Conference as far as the highest revenue-earning athletic programs in 2022. I don't think that that list is going to change a lot in 2023. And it goes back to what you spend from a budget standpoint, what you spend in athletics is kind of a reflection on enrollment as well because Ohio State, Did not win a college football national championship, but is competitive in every sport. Texas, you look across the board at their program, another one. Michael Bronner says he goes to Alabama. He attends Alabama as a student because of the success of what Nick Saban was able to do and the fact that Bronner said, look, he, he wanted to get out of those cold winters too. So, Michael Bronner comes down to Alabama based on the success of the football program. So it's you can start seeing in facilities too, in all these schools that are having producing great athletic programs. They're the ones who earn the most also. So in order to, to, to make money, you have to spend money if you're these collegiate programs.
3: Yeah, so the fact that it's seven out of ten, are SEC, and we're just gonna go ahead and claim Oklahoma and Texas now. I sure. think that's go ahead absolutely. And, you know, is is anyone surprised that most of the most of the schools there come from the SEC?
2: No, I I know I, I was not shocked by the list. I was kind of surprised that Ohio State was number one. I thought that Texas or Texas A and M would be right up toward the top as far as highest revenue earning earning athletic programs in 2022. But Alabama being at number three at $214 million, you you can't really argue with the fact that Alabama across the board. Now, this year, Bronner, if you want to look at what was accomplished in 22 and 23, Alabama football, would you say if you had the judge – Success or failure? If they don't make it to the college football playoffs, is it a failure?
3: By Alabama standards or by everyone else's standards? You
2: can say you can say by everyone else's standards. Well. Because you look at this list, and this list, you know, it does have your Penn States of the world on it. It does have your Michigans of the world on it.
3: I would say that Alabama – had a failure of a football season okay. this past season. What,
2: what about from a basketball
3: standpoint? I would say they had a phenomenal basketball season that ended in bitterly disappointing fashion. Baseball standpoint, they had a very good baseball season.
2: Softball standpoint,
3: they had a they had a very good softball season. They exceeded expectations in softball.
2: So when you start looking at your your revenue generating sports. The, for for most of these institutions, your four revenue, your 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 biggest revenue generating sports: football, basketball, baseball, and softball. Alabama, you would say, checked off three out of the four on that list. Now, for other programs such as Ohio State, of course, Ohio State. You you you. Re- When's the last time you heard Ohio State baseball be? <laughs> I I I, I could not tell you exactly. So. That I no. mean, it, that's my point. Or, it, even
3: Michigan. I mean, I don't I don't baseball. even I think baseball is like for Alabama, for example, is like very fringe revenue earning sport like if they do i don't think they're in the negative but it's very you know they're very 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 like barely a revenue sport if they even are uh maybe they have been the past couple i'd have to look at the numbers i don't know off the top of my head but yeah no it's, it's a good point for like the ohio states of the world like certainly alabama baseball brings in more revenue to alabama than uh ohio state baseball would bring to ohio state but, uh, yeah, no, it's an, it's an interesting topic for sure.
2: I, I thought that just in regards to the top 10 highest revenue-earning athletic programs in 2022, the list was, was kind of consistent with what I felt that SEC schools would definitely be there and, and, and be represented in, of course, with anything. I think Alabama, you, you would you would want to see Auburn join that list. Now, Auburn has definitely – spent a lot of money as far as facilities upgrades are concerned. But as far as being one of the revenue-earning athletic programs, that's where you want to see even more SEC schools become involved, especially the Auburn Tigers. Because when you have Oklahoma in the narrative or Penn State in the narrative, you want to find a way to get Michigan out of the narrative as well. And and nothing – against michigan or or those involved at michigan you just want to continue to see that the best facilities are are in the south because for so many baseball programs when it's snowing in the north in february and march you're looking at 65 or 70 degrees here in baseball and softball in the south
3: yeah there's not there wasn't a whole lot better than uh you know an afternoon in right field at the joe for an alabama baseball yeah, game absolutely so so that they let you bring beer and all that you, you can't you can't really <laughs> wouldn't let you bring beer to the softball games i would have gone to more softball games as because softball like objectively softball is kind of more fun than than baseball especially at alabama oh, like, I, it, I it think just that, it just is i think
2: that softball is one of those revenue generating yeah. sports especially for Alabama, for sure. It, it's definitely a revenue-generating sport. And, and I get excited when you see schools that are athletically inclined across the board that are making money. If, if you're going to spend the $90 million or the $100 million on a brand-new facility, you want to know that you're not hemorrhaging or losing money as an athletic program, too, because – Donors are great, but there's nothing like ticket sales. When you put butts in the seat and that revenue goes back to your – and licensing and apparel, I don't care where you are. You could – I mean, Nick Saban goes across the pond and is in Rome, Italy, and, and you see people with Alabama apparel on. And I think that that's when your licensing and marketing agreements help with that revenue earning from the athletic program's for sure. Now, I will say this. An athletic program that, that made a little money in the time that he was there was, was Texas Tech. And when Coach Mike Leach mm. was the head football coach at Texas Tech and with his air raid offense, you, you, you weren't going to go into Lubbock on a Saturday and not see a sold-out game. Now, since Coach Leach has passed away, he's going to be inducted into the non-athlete Hall of Honor for Texas Tech. And I think that the way things ended for Coach Leach at Texas Tech and not having an opportunity to mend, mend that fence or mend that bridge, I think that it's pretty interesting that Cliff Kingsbury, his former quarterback, is going into the Athletic Hall of Fame honor Along with Coach Leach. And again, Coach Leach going in as a non-athlete. Cliff Kingsbury going in as an athlete. Did did you ever and have you ever seen Cliff Kingsbury's numbers?
3: As a player? Yes. At Texas N- Tech. No, I don't think I've ever gazed at his not. I know the Patriots drafted him. Yeah, I mean, he he could just flat out spin the
2: football. Without question, he could spin the football and and you know, being coached by someone like Mike Leach, regardless of how Coach Leach exited Texas Tech, the same way that Mississippi State is honoring Coach Leach, I think that Texas Tech is doing the right thing by, by honoring him as well. And I think the fact that Kingsbury goes in as one of his former players and his former quarterback at the same time is, is a great narrative. It's a great way – to go ahead and spin it now when you have a former coach such as what you've seen here in the NFL I know there's been a lot of talk and chatter about your Patriots and with your new offensive coordinator what what the story is going to be with your New England Patriots and and one of the decisions that the Patriots are having to make Bronner, or taking malik cunningham mm. who is from montgomery alabama and park crossing high school and, and goes on to play quarterback at louisville he he also comes down to the senior bowl and spends an entire week at the quarterback position and goes as an undrafted free agent to your patriots now cunningham shattered some of lamar jackson's records for louisville now now do you think making the transition over? To a wide receiver for the Patriots is something that can be beneficial for New England
3: well uh, they're not going to carry three quarterbacks so I, I'd be curious I, I would assume they probably signed him with the, the intention of that happening uh, by my understanding they gave Cunningham the largest free agent deal that they've given an undrafted free agent like throughout Bill Belichick's history uh, you know being the GM of the team so obviously they saw something they liked at least, you know. Obviously, Ju- you know, the easy point to say, oh, Julian Edelman was a quarterback at Kent State. Obviously, he's very much the exception, not the rule, in terms of quarterbacks turned wide receivers that end up being really good for the Patriots. It's just easier to say it's been done before. Uh, so, you know, I I don't think he really had a chance to make the roster as a quarterback. They're not going to carry three, so it's a, it's a, you could argue it's even a tougher path to make the roster as a receiver. No, obviously it's not a great receiver group, but there's a lot of guys on it and they drafted guys in the 6th and 7th round as well. Uh, So... I'd be shocked if he makes the roster this season as a receiver, maybe the practice squad. We'll see what happens, uh, but certainly rooting for him. You know, obviously we saw how electric he is at Louisville. You know, you, you love that uh, a receiver has the quarterback mindset. He knows how DBs move. He knows how routes are supposed to be run. Uh, so I think that certainly gives him an advantage, but obviously he's competing for roster spots against guys who have tried to have, uh, you know, been trained to play the position of receiver their entire careers versus someone who is just now switching to the position of receiver. So, We'll see. Uh, I don't I don't know necessarily if it's going to work out for him, but I certainly hope so.
2: Yeah, I think that Julian Edelman has has really kind of changed the narrative for Malik because someone was in his ear because he chose to say, hey, the best place for me to go as an undrafted free agent was to New England. And New England shelled out the money. Now, he, he runs a 4.53 at the combine, is the third fastest for a quarterback. So we know he has the blazing speed. But can the transition be made to where he actually makes the roster for the New England Patriots at wide receiver? I yeah, think it, it,
3: it's a long shot. It would it, be it one of is.
2: the best stories that you will see in the entire NFL if he, he's able to make that. Fifty-two man. He's roster. got to.
3: uh He's got to establish himself as having some sort of special teams value or, or something like that. Because you know, even Edelman, it, it took him like f- you know, really like four years before he even made an impact as a wide receiver. You know, he was returning punts as a rookie and you know showed the ability to be really good at it. And so, yeah, Cunningham's got to bring something else to the table to have a shot at making the roster. We'll see if that's the case. Uh, again, it, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if. He ends up on on the practice squad this year. That's and that would probably be good for him, honestly. Give him a year to develop and hone that skill, and you know who knows what happens next year. As for making the roster as a wide receiver this year, I I would say the chances are very very thin. Well, I'm looking forward
2: to seeing what he's able to do, whether it's the OTAs, the mandatory mini camps, just his development as a player to see when July rolls around early August to see where he's going to be and where he's going to find himself, whether it's on the Patriots' regular roster or the practice squad as well. When we come back, we'll hear from the introductory press conference, head coach Rob Vaughn of the alabama crimson tide gives a little life advice on how to develop players and kind of touched on the fact that he was in awe of meeting one nick saban as well the final drive when we come back here on wnsp 105.5
1: hi this is luis gonzalez former south alabama jaguar and major league player you're listening to wnsp
0: mobile
2: Welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Hope everyone has had a wonderful Wednesday. And of course, yesterday we had the introductory press conference of the 33rd baseball coach in the history of Alabama baseball. And that being Rob Vaughn and Rob Vaughn. They say you need to win the press conference and, and, Sometimes you can lose people in the press conference as well, but Rob Vaughn, I thought, did a phenomenal job in what he had to say as Chris Stewart moderated his press conference on yesterday. Rob Vaughn chimes in. This world doesn't need another shortstop. Don't worry, I, I will find good shortstops, and we will have those here. But this world's going to keep spinning without it. But what we desperately, desperately need is men and women that know how to lead, that lead their families, that are people of character, that know how to lead communities. That's desperately what they need, and that's what our program going to be built on. That's what we're going to be all about. Couldn't agree with them more. As a former head coach, needing leaders as young men and women. And too many times, I mean, yesterday we were talking about baby Gronk and – the role model that his dad, <laughs> his dad may have his son's best interest at heart, but it, it does sure he? doesn't look like like it from Parenting 101, to be honest with you. It looks like dad's more concerned about dollar signs than, again, having a position player in the future who, who can earn millions of dollars. But I, I like the fact that, like you said, th- it, this world does not need another shortstop. It definitely needs better human beings. And, you know, team sports ultimately does that. It bridges that gap between black and white and and race and gender. Team sports finds a way to go ahead and bring everyone together. Because when you look to your left or your right on any Saturday at Hancock Whitney Stadium or at Bryant-Denny Stadium, they are all type of, of people and nationalities coming to, for one single reason, and it's not to harass the officials. <laughs> it's to go ahead and support the young men and young ladies who
3: are participating. Maybe a little bit of harassing of the yeah, officials. Yeah, it, it,
2: it, it, it comes with the territory. But at the same time, Michael Brawner, the fact that he said that when he had the opportunity to, to meet Nick Saban, He almost passed out because (laughs) at 35 years of age, Nick Saban is not just – he goes and speaks to billion-dollar businesses. Why does he speak to billion-dollar businesses? Because of the fact – not because he's just the Aflac pitchman. It's the fact that he understands from a leadership standpoint Mm -hmm. what it takes to make and have your employees and your players be successful at – What's it task?
3: Yeah, I really loved that uh, that soundbite from Coach Vaughn. Sounds like he's a guy with his head on his head on his shoulders, a good head on his shoulders, his head on straight, and uh, knows what's important in life. And obviously, like Alabama, you want to have a good baseball program, and I hope that Coach Vaughn does deliver a good baseball program. But, you know, the fact that he'll be putting out good men, and, uh, you know, it was nice to hear. Trying
2: to knock down the gates of omaha is is what he was also quoted as saying and the fact that he tipped the cap to coach jackson and allowed him to become and still be a part of his staff goes to speak to how far i think coach vaughn is going to be able to go as the next head baseball coach at the university of alabama our number two coming up here on the final drive Ryan Ballingy joining us to break down who he thinks could possibly win the next major event here in the PGA. Next on The Final Drive. Hour number two of the final drive here on a hump day. It's Wednesday, and Corey Labounty, along with my producer, Michael Brawner, joining you this afternoon. And, of course, tomorrow, the 123rd U.S. Open gets started. And who better than Ryan Ballingy, owner of Golf News Net to jump on with this and, and talk a little U.S. Open with this, Ryan, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on The Final Drive.
1: Thanks for having me on, Corey.
2: Michael, good talking to good talk with you guys. Well, I, I tell you, you know, Michael and I, he's kind of danced who we thought would be his winner here in this U.S. Open. Oh, no, we and
3: haven't given picks yet, Corey. We're going to do he's that.
2: Danced, he's danced around with it a little bit. He's danced around. I, I'm, I'm going to come out and, and ask, one of the underdogs, and and I don't know how successful or even if you would consider a sleeper here in Scotty Scheffler, how how do you feel about his opportunity? He's going to be my pick to win the U.S. Open. How far out on a limb did I go?
1: Not very far, I don't think. I mean, I I think he's a popular pick. I think he opened up closer to to 8-1. I've seen him a lot of places 6-1, so I think a lot of people agree with you. If you look at his tee to green game last, I don't know, three, four months, I mean, it's the best in the world. He just stinks at putting right now. So if he can putt even semi-decently this week and bring that ball-striking game with him, he's going to win this thing. So I absolutely agree with you. I mean, he's, people are kind of over, overlooking him because of how bad he putted at the Memorial and, and Colonial, for that matter. Frankly, the PGA, too. But all you've got to do is putt half-decently for one week. He's, he's going to win.
2: Well, I, I, I like that pick, and that's who I'm going to go with. I, I guess the biggest question that I do have going in into this U.S. Open is, you know, what are the weather conditions going to be like? Because you, you have some tournaments to where you look at the Masters, the way rain wreaked havoc on it. Will this be a situation in L.A., Los Angeles Country Club, to where it'll be great weather all week?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the bigger tell is going to be the lead-in. Right, the the month before there wasn't a ton of rain, but let the course get pretty thick. The rough's probably kind of spotty, so they let it grow up a little bit. I don't know how committed they are to keeping that rough pretty long, but this golf course should play pretty firm, pretty fast. And there's a lot of what's called camber on tee shots between. You know, we got to hit it left so it rolls out right. Got to hit it right so it rolls out left and stays in the fairway. There's going to be a lot of that this week. Um, the players have to be very cognizant of, it, especially we get to the weekend where. It's going to get even firmer and even faster.
3: Talking to Ryan Ballinger, owner of Golf News Net, our resident golf guy. Ryan, generally, the U.S. Open I think is regarded as the hardest major. It's the toughest to win. I, I like Country Club. It's it, it play. I think it plays pretty hard. But I, I've heard a lot of mixed things on on how. Hard the uh, the course is going to play this week. I've heard the rough is very thick. I've heard we always see the videos that come out before where they'll drop a golf ball in the rough and say, "Look how rough! Look how thick the rough is playing!" And then it ends up being eh. Uh, So how do you think the course is going to play this week? Do we think the champion is going to be double digit under par?
1: I don't think they'll get to double digits. I would think depending on what they choose to do with the setup, and that could change based just on the weather or the scoring. So we got to keep that in mind. But I, I think your range is probably anywhere from three under to eight under the winds. Um, it just kind of depends on what they want and what they get and what they're seeing from the golf course. Because, you know, typically Saturday is the toughest day. That's the day you've got to gut everything out. It's ratcheted up to 11, extremely tricky. So I, I think they're going to get a tell from Thursday and Friday. But what I will say is I think you're going to see a lot more wild swings in scoring on this golf course, than maybe your average U.S. Open venue, where par is a great sport, a lot of U.S. US Open holes, right? Here, you're going to see a lot of birdies and eagles, doubles, triples, and it's going to look normal. I don't think anyone's going to go unscathed here where you're just making birdies and pars, because there are a lot of long holes, or a lot of short holes, the short holes are treacherous, the long holes are not easy to score upon, targets are small, so it's going to be a little bit different of a flavor to the U.S. in terms of hole-to-hole, but in terms of the overall test, I still think it will be extremely difficult.
3: Uh, another thing I wanted to ask you, another a rumor that's been thrown out a lot this week, and I don't know... <laughs> Obviously, we talked to you last week about the Live PGA thing. As for I, I think I kind of asked you this a little bit, like any truth to the rumor that John Rahm was about to jump, but here he is this week, kind of saying like, no matter what happens, like thank you to the PGA, and there's a lot of distrust with management. What's going on there? Is, is John Rahm about to jump to Live after this?
1: No, I mean I think Live dies. I, I, I'm still I'm firmly convinced now. Live is is basically going to die here um When it dies, that's to be determined. But I wouldn't see any value for the Saudis in paying for John Rahm for what could be one year. So I just don't see the point of the. I don't understand the rumor. Um, I understand why he's upset. And I think he represents a lot of people on the PGA Tour among the players that are upset with what Jay Monahan and Jimmy Dunn and Ed Hurley did. And they'll see how that plays out. And. That could cost Jay Monahan's job, could cost Jimmy Dunn a board seat, could cost this deal its existence. I mean, a lot of things could happen, but uh, the players are, are quite distrustful, I think, of the management at this point. Phil
2: Mickelson, I think he's a huge storyline coming in to this open. Will he be able to find that career grand slam?
1: You're asking a whole lot of a man that uh, doesn't seem to really care a whole lot week to week about what's going on in his life or what he, uh, other than what he tweets. Um, but he did play great at the Masters. He has best career final round at the Augusta National with nothing to lose, admittedly, uh, with what, sixth, second place finish in this, in this tournament. Uh, he's been as snake bitten as anybody in the history of this championship. The the one thing that does interest me is he does like Riviera. The architect between Riviera and Los Angeles Country Club, George C. Thomas, is the same. I don't know how much he's ever seen of this golf course or how much he even cares to try. But um, it would be a really fascinating story if he finds himself there on Sunday with a chance. I'll give it that. I don't think he will be, but it would be really fascinating to see it one more time, especially after we did a couple years ago at Kiowa before all the stuff happened with the Saudis and, and going to live
3: guy who's been knocking on the door for a minute here, and it's actually my pick, and I'll, I will, uh, we'll get back to it later, Corey, but my pick this week is Victor Hovland. What chances do you give him this week?
1: Love his chances. The only thing I'm worried about is how he chips, and we've seen him do well in setups in particular like Bay Hill, Oak Hill the same way where the deep rough was really limiting in what you could do imagination-wise. And that, I think, worked to Victor Hovland's favor. But he has dramatically improved his chipping motion, really, in the last year. It's it's a lot better, uh, a lot more creative, a lot more versatile. So I'm I'm not going to put it past him just because we think of him historically as a bad chipper. But like you said, he's been in it in the last three majors. He likes tough golf courses. He just won. What's not to like about it? I mean, it seems like that's the storyline that's building up here is we get a Hovland major championship.
2: Well, what we did see in the PGA Championship is Michael Block go ahead and make a lot of news and still a lot of thunder. Will there be anyone like that this week here that we'll be talking about that could possibly take some of the the, the thunder away from a winner?
1: I don't think so. I mean, we do have uh, always great storylines among the qualifiers who, who get into this championship Sometimes you get something on a, on a Thursday, maybe even into a Friday at a U.S. Open, but time and time again we get denied something fascinating on a Saturday uh, because they ratchet it up, like I said, and they really kind of smoke out the players who aren't prepared for the moment. But Michael Brock proved to you that you don't have to be a touring professional on the reg to be someone who can play world-class golf for four days. Uh, I just think the demands on this golf course, the up and down on this golf course, is going to be a lot psychologically for these players that aren't as well accustomed to tournament experience, high-level tournament experience. It takes a lot to kind of weather birdies, eagles, double—you know the full gamut of scores and get to the right place in the end. So I'm, I'm going to say there probably won't be that storyline, but I'm rooting for it. Always rooting for it.
2: Of course, at last week's Canada Open, you saw a Canadian actually win the event here in the U.S. Open. Will there be an American who will have an opportunity to come away with the championship?
1: If it's not Scheffler for me, it's you know, probably two people, Colin Morikawa and Xander Shoffley. Uh, Xander has played really well in the U.S. Open over his relatively short career. Is Really, the majors he's given himself the best chances are the Masters in the U.S. Open. I think he's playing generally very good golf this year. Obviously not winning quite as much as last year, but playing great, great golf. Um, and I, I will throw in a, maybe a little bit of a sleeper in Sam Burns from the American perspective. He is, a, he is a Bermuda specialist. This is the first time we've played a U.S. Open on Bermuda in like 30 years. Um, it's not typically on this type of graph. Typically on bent, typically on a surface. That's a little bit cooler weather grass, and this is not that. So I, I think there's a certain amount of expertise to be able to putt on burnt-out Bermuda greens. And Sam Burns did that this year. He won the match play on burnt-out Bermuda down in Austin. So uh, I, I wouldn't put it past him to be able to do something good here this week.
3: Ryan, I can't help but point out you, you left out Brooks Kepka there. Any reason?
1: No, uh, I mean I feel like him, and I, and I would have mentioned Scheffler too. But um, you know, the, those guys are—I feel like they're kind of a given at this point. Uh, I feel like you've kind of got four to f- a battery of four to five guys. You're kind of stunned if they're not there, between Scheffler, Kepka, Rom, and, and you know, you take your pick of the week. I guess between rory and cam smith i think people are sleeping on cam smith a little bit too by the way he's, he hasn't been playing badly on live uh he's been playing okay in the majors not, not as well as last year for sure but uh, i think people are sleeping on him a little bit this week
2: well people that are not being slept on is the pga commissioner and is it coincidence that you mentioned him earlier in our interview Jay Monahan, that, that he's having medical situation and, and people are giving him privacy because he's recovering from a medical issue? Or, or do you think that this has really just been a total stressor and this has been to where, for the average Joe, I know the average Joe clutched their chest when they heard that the PGA and the LIV and the European Tour were, were merging. It, it, did it cause him probably some, some medical grief as well?
1: Maybe, or it could just be as simple as I need a good excuse to not be in Los Angeles, and I came up with one, and that's my answer, so I don't have to be there in person, get grilled, because he's going to be, the, you know, those guys are at the major championships. They all kind of float about to each other. They support one another. They attend. They're big deals. their are opportunities for people in golf circles to meet. I, I have no idea about what his condition is or how stressful it really is or whether it was caused by this process, but uh, I could see every possible outcome from... I just didn't want to be there, so I need an excuse to something legitimate happen along the way here that it may or may not be related to this secret deal they've been working on for two months. So um, whatever it is, if, if it, you he's know, actually in pretty rough medical shape, obviously wish the guy the best. But uh, if you just didn't want to be seen, well, well played, I guess.
2: Well, it's a situation to where we want to we want to see who Ryan Ballinger is going to pick here to win the U.S. Open. Do, do you have a personal favorite? I, I gave you who I thought was going to have success. I know Bronner mentioned who he thought would possibly win it as well. Come come Monday when they're talking about it. The talking heads like myself and Bronner, and we're speculating what went wrong or what went right in Los Angeles, who will we be talking about?
1: Well, my gut tells me Scotty Scheffler is going to win this thing just because he's been so elite from tee to green in the last several months, and I just feel like he's going to figure it out, or that the difficulty of these greens is going to be so strenuous on everybody. It's not going to matter whether you putt well or not. He just can't putt historically bad. But I also agree with Michael. I love Victor Hoblin this week. I mean, the storyline is there. It has been building for a year. He's been doing the right things. He's been winning. Uh, he just hasn't done the major yet. So, why not now? I, I could see that, too, but I also will keep coming back to Xander Schauffele. Eventually, he's going to pick off the U.S. Open. I don't know when, but he's going to pick one off.
3: Ryan, I took Xander in the PGA, and, you know, that's, you know, it was based on your good word, and we saw how that worked out.
1: <laughs> hey, sometimes you win, sometimes <laughs> you lose. But, um, I, 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 mean, I have a lot of players I can like here, and it's really hard on a venue you just don't know. Um, and someone finds you know, something about the course they like, they stick with it for four days. I mean, I think Adam Scott can win this. I think Bryson DeChambeau can win this. They have games that are either trending in the right direction or that fit this golf course extremely well. And I, I think we could get a surprise winner here, given that players don't know the course and that there's really nothing to suggest to them that they – can learn it in two or three days before they get ready for this championship.
3: Last thing I want to ask you, it just popped in my head. Do uh, do you take any stock in the fact that a guy we haven't mentioned, Max Homa, has the course record of a 61 at this course?
1: Yes and no. I mean, USGA setup of any golf course is a whole hell of a lot different than whatever they're doing for the membership on a given day. Um, That said, he has no top tens in majors. So he'd have to break that streak to do really well here this week. Uh, that's always a concern if you're, especially, going to put some actual dollars on him. But you got to at least take some positive from that. He has that course record. He has the bulk of his PGA Tour wins in the state of California. Clearly likes playing in his home state. It's just trying to figure out that next level that he hasn't been able to reach in majors. And maybe it's this week, but I'm going to fade him.
2: Ryan Ballinger, you always make our cut line here on the final drive for sure. And we, we appreciate all the knowledge that you drop and again when you broke and we leaned on you a little bit for this merger between the PGA Live and European tour, you were spot on about the FTC. Uh, Federal Trade Commission and Congress getting involved and possibly there being a lot of blowback and and blocking of that. And that's why you're our our go-to golf guru and looking forward to continuing to see your coverage this weekend. How can everyone follow your outstanding golf coverage?
1: You can find us at golfnewsnet.com. If you want to listen to Golf Talk 24-7 on Golf News Net Radio, on iHeart and Tune In, and our website, golfnewsnet.com. You can follow us on Twitter at golfnewsnet. Same thing with Facebook and Instagram.
2: Ryan, thank you so much, and we look forward to talking to you again very soon. Thanks, guys. See you later. Ryan Ballingy joining us here on the final drive. He went out on that limb with me, and... We'll see Bronner.
3: you know, your pick. You too. called Scotty Scheffler a sleeper pick. He's the damn favorite.
2: Well, hey, he's my sleeper. And when's the last time he's won?
3: Uh he's won, I mean, he's won a lot this year, but he has not won a major yeah, in, in, in about a that's year.
2: That's what I'm talking about. That's I, why
3: <laughs> he's that's like why the I'm best player in the world, arguably. Hey,
2: hey if he's the sleeper. best player. Sleeper. Did, did he win the masters? No, he didn't. Okay, all right. My point is acting exactly. So. Again, you know, golf is hard. It, 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 not, not to be easy. You win some and you lose some. The final drive here on WNSP
4: 105.5. Hi, right, this is Juan Pierre, former South Alabama Jaguar, former MLB player, and you're listening to WNSP.
2: welcome back to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5 and you know Branner wanted to make make fun of
3: my pick I'll tell you what I had a caller just ask me if if George is your sleeper pick in the SEC East this year
2: uh, well, you know I, I don't think <laughs> I don't think I ever said that Scotty was a sleeper I, I said I'll go, back go back and out listen on to, to it later I, I said go out on a limb
3: I think you pulled out that sleeper word well, we're going to have to go back and listen to it later. Well,
2: but I, I, I will say this. Either
3: way, I don't know how much of a limb that is.
2: That's why I asked, was it how low was the limb? You know, because, again, you still have to find a way. It's a limb where if it snaps, you fall a foot and you're yeah. fine. There you go. I didn't say I was going to pick Roy McElroy to win the U.S. Open because that's not a route that I was going. And and I, I think that that is a healthy debate to have and – you know, if Tiger Woods was in the field, of course, you know who I, I would go with. Whether he would make the cut or not, <laughs> you, you know, I would have gone.
3: But well, as much as Woods. as much as I wanted to see Tiger play this week, I, I'm glad he's not. That way, I, that way, I get to make you p- make a pick that's not <laughs> Tiger.
2: There you go. And he, here's what what's interesting, Michael Brauner Last night, I know you being from up north, hockey is a little bit more prevalent, mm. and of course, you do have. The Stanley Cup being won last night, the Vegas Golden Knights were able to win the Stanley Cup championship. And and what's interesting to me is the fact that a couple of things, the Stanley Cup to me is the coolest championship trophy in sports, period. I mean, last night, for goodness sake, they stuck a baby in the Stanley Cup. And I thought that that was pretty cool <laughs> when you're able to stick a baby in the Stanley Cup as far as from a celebration standpoint. But only in the sixth season of existence have the Vegas Golden Knights been able to come away with a championship. And you look at the 97 Florida Marlins at the time, Michael Braun. I don't even
3: think you were born in 97. I was not. So Thanks for reminding in, 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 everyone of that.
2: In, in 97... In the fifth season of existence, the Florida Marlins
3: win a, a world championship. Well, if you remember, uh, you know I don't know how closely you follow hockey or anyone listening follows hockey. Vegas made the Stanley Cup in their first year of existence and uh, ultimately lost to uh, Alex Ovechkin in the Capitals. So uh, the way the NHL sets up expansion drafts is kind of odd. You know, They kind of do it so that you get set up with a pretty good team right out of the gate, which is honestly from a – marketing perspective a pretty good strategy because like yeah take an nfl city like you put an nfl team in a new city it's going to survive even if they go 0 and 16 in the first year nhl it's like ah like if the team stinks it's going to be hard to get people to come out but you know you put a team that's competitive right away like look at the seattle kraken this year i think they made it all the way to the western conference finals in their second year in existence or whatever it is it Um,
2: just doesn't happen in sports that often because in 1971 the bucks They win the world championship in the NBA in their third season of existence. Of Mm. course, the Arizona Diamondbacks, they win it in their fourth season of existence. I just mentioned to you the Marlins in their fifth season, they win the world championship. And, of course, Vegas being in their sixth season. So regardless of the sport, I just mentioned to you baseball basketball, and, of course, now hockey, you're talking about franchises that it's going to take you longer than one or two years to win a world championship. And to be able – there's some franchises that have been around for 40 years Mm. that haven't won or played for the Stanley Cup or or played in the World Series. And here it is that you have Vegas being able to have the coolest trophy – In all of sports and win it only in their sixth season of existence.
3: Yeah, you love to see that. And, uh, you know, you love to. The Stanley Cup presentation is probably the coolest trophy presentation in all the sports, the whole. You know, every. Every member of the team takes a lap with it. It's always cool stuff. And yeah, you brought up the fact that all, not only was I not born in 1997, I am from the North as well. So yes, I used to be a pretty big hockey fan, but that has kind of fallen off in, in my five years living in the South, but is what it is there. Used to be a pretty big Bruins fan. It just has kind of fallen off a little bit, but you know, I still have a pretty great appreciation for hockey and uh, how special that trophy is, man. It, it, it's uh, It's got some history to it.
2: Well, well, what you have now completed, of course, the NBA and the NHL all completed. And you're looking at the College World Series getting ready to come to a close here within the next week also. So then you turn the page to the NBA draft. We're really entering
3: course, the uh, dog days of summer, aren't it, we? it
2: is. I mean, but, but at the same time, you still have events like tonight at 6 o'clock when the SEC officially unveils – all of the collegiate matchups looking forward to seeing that and now in the summertime the dog days of summer you do have competitive matchups at all these camps we mentioned nick saban outstretching with his campers earlier kenny king i'll have to ask kenny king did does he still stretch with his players Hmm. kenny king the head football coach at daphne scheduled to join us next on the final drive and he's participating in a seven on seven tournament out at south alabama it's something that you see a lot of players really indulging in and and finding a way again offensive linemen you don't see too many otas for the offensive linemen but for those skill position players It's an opportunity to grow and to be seen And 7-on-7 going on. And we'll check up and catch up with our good friend Kenny King next here on The Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. This is George Potter, bench coach
4: of the Houston Astros, and you're listening to WNFT.
2: Welcome back to The Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labonte along with my producer Michael Brawner joining you this hump day Wednesday. And hope everyone has had a phenomenal day. And we'll check in with head football coach of the Daphne Trojans, Kenny King, joins us here on The Final Drive. Coach, I know you're having a busy afternoon. Hope all is well and thanks for joining us.
4: Yes, sir. Thanks for having me.
2: Well, Coach, it's that time of year to where I know last week you had the trucking for Trojans, and that was an awesome event that you guys host. But it's that time of year in June to where singly and individually you guys have different camps, 7-on-7s Seven that you attend. Your players are out there finding offers to leave Graham, one of those players that has gotten a lot of love shown from Auburn. But tell us what's going on on your busy June calendar schedule.
4: Man, um, we're just working. Uh, we, we're practicing. We're working. Um, we All of our guys are out camping. Um, in June, you know, guys get to go on college campuses and, and go and compete and um, go and show show showcase themselves. Uh so guys are out, you know, camping and we, we have uh some seven oh sevens that we go to. Uh we just finished up uh seven oh seven here at uh South Alabama. Uh just got knocked out. Uh so uh but uh, next week we'll be in Troy and uh we'll will be with Foley the, the the following week and then we'll take a little break off during the fourth of July. And then we host our own 707, um, Jubilee 707 in Daphne on Ju- uh, July 13th. So a lot of 707, a lot of guys um, going to camps, um, going through the state. You know, DeWitt went to Sanford and got an offer there. Taylor Graham went to Auburn and got an offer there. Um, so uh, guys are uh, going to different colleges and, and showing their, their abilities. Well, it, it,
2: it's all when they have that purple and gold behind their name because ultimately when they do get offered, they're a representative of Daffy High School. And I know that you went the route, probably not a lot of seven-on-seven seven when you came through high school and it was summertime. It was just Coach Sav saying, hey, look, meet us in the weight room and we're going to get better and stronger that way. <laughs>
4: Yes, man. Uh, back in the day, it was all about the weight room. Um, you didn't. Um, the rules was back in the day. You couldn't get on the field as much as uh, we are able to get on the field now. So a lot of it, it was geared towards uh, lifting weights, getting bigger, faster, and stronger, and getting ready for that 11 on 11 football. Uh, as time changed, of course, you know, seven on seven has came about as a way for guys to stay active. Uh, so we try to marry continue getting in the weight room, getting bigger, faster, stronger. We're also going out and having our guys compete. So uh, we got to figure out the, the right formula to marry everything. But, again, man, as long as our guys out playing a game of football, doing something, we, we're excited about it.
2: Well, talk about the excitement of what you guys were able to accomplish here in the spring. I know that your spring game took place kind of, uh, not necessarily at the last minute, but you were able to find a pretty decent and, and and a Baldwin County opponent in the Foley Lions, and that came together. And I know you would much rather have another opponent to look at rather than an inner squad.
4: Uh, yes, um, uh, we got uh, put in a position that we had to try to find a – a opponent, uh, we were going over to the Southern Miss, but of course, um, their turf, their new turf was not finished. So it put us in a position that we had to, uh, that that uh, event got moved to Pearl River. So uh, it kind of changed our plans and everything. So we decided to find our opponent opponent, uh, the further lines. Uh, I uh, accept it, and um, we we talked to Darren Scott, and, and Coach Scott uh, decided that we'll, we'll put it on and they'll come to Dallas and play here at Jubilee Stadium. So um, we were excited to host them, and, and I know it was it was different because we're in the same region and same uh, same classification, but uh, we're trying to get better in the spring, and um, and I think we all accomplished that.
3: We're talking to Kenny King, head coach over at Daphne for the Trojans. Coach, as we move out of spring and look towards the fall, talk to us about some of your goals for the season.
4: Man, our goal is uh, again to go out and compete. Um, uh, this year, man, we got a young team, but an exciting team. There's a lot of new energy around here, a lot of new energy around Daphne, um, and, and you saw it during the spring. Uh, guys coming in and guys will compete. But our goal is to uh, to go out, man, and, and get better get better every day, one uh, percent better every day. And uh, when we look back at the season, we don't we're gonna be excited to see uh, what we accomplished because again, we want that get better. Well,
2: that's what it's all about. It's about getting better and having that opportunity. And I know one Glenn Vickery is, is tuned in and, and is locked and loaded as well. And he wanted to tell you good luck and the Trojans in Cadillac. And he knew you would know exactly what he was referring to there. But I, I want you to talk about, you know, the, the transition here from 6A to, to, to playing a different type of brand of football in 7A. And I know there's not as many teams, but, you know, having a chance to see 6A and 7A, it's so competitive down here when you look at it. And it, 6A Region 1, to me, is what I call the SEC West. And 7A Region 1, it's no slouch either once McGill and you guys were able to leave also.
4: Yes, uh, when you talk about the region, man, it's a tough region down here. Um, you know, the, 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 I think the difference in 6A and 7A, I mean, it's both both, both divisions are competitive. Uh, but you get your larger teams, bigger teams. Um, I mean, you, you're talking about squads that have 100 members that's on the team. Uh, so, again, um, you know, if, if there's a lot of great football down here in the South, uh in Region 1, 6A, and 7A, 8, So, again, man, um, just continuing to compete against the big dogs, and um, I love every bit of it. That's why I came back and coached in the state of Alabama. Well, I'm
2: looking at your schedule. Are you still open in Week 0 on the 25th And your first game, being on the 31st of Carver Montgomery, or were you able to find you a Jamboree opponent?
4: Uh, we actually found a game. We'll be playing Murphy on Thursday the
2: 24th. Okay, so you will have an open up there in week zero against Murphy. So that will have an opportunity to where you'll have Murphy. Is that game gonna be at Daphne or at Ladd? At Lad. So you'll Thursday. have Okay. Yes, sir. So you will open that Thursday at Lad and then turn around and you'll have your home games against Carver, Cal- Montgomery and, and Bryant. Okay, that that's that's a great way to sit there and, and open up your schedule in regards to, to at least having an opponent prior to playing carver montgomery and i know that you guys must have had a home and home with carver montgomery scheduled to where you're returned they're returning that trip for you
4: yes sir yes sir had a home home um so uh we went up to carver um and and played in montgomery and then they're returning and coming to play us um that that first week. Well, I, I know
2: you're a former University of Alabama grade, and I, I want to get your thoughts here collegiately about Oklahoma and Texas joining the sec and how much fun that is for the southeastern conference to have two traditional powers and what it would have been like if you would have added two other traditional powers back in your playing days you know in in early 2000s having an opportunity to say whatever the dominant collegiate team was at that time to have those two teams joining the sec when you played.
4: Um, it, was, it was, you know, I say the more area, man. The SEC has done a great job. There's a lot of competition in the SEC, um, and, it's, you know, it's big time. And those two powerhouse programs joining is only going to make it more competitive. Um, and that, that uh, playoff system is going to get real interesting. interesting. So, um, um, I'm kind of excited to, to, to see it all unfold. Um, we actually got to play Oklahoma my senior year, um, so we we experienced that. It went to Oklahoma to play, um, so uh, it's definitely going to be uh, a great thing with those guys joining the SEC
2: you know the growth of not only high school athletics year to year you know they go back and and the central board takes recommendations on rules modifications whether it is a situation to where you mentioned like look we could only hit the weight room at a certain time and couldn't have as much on-field experience the changing of football whether it be nil or whether it be the transfer portal can you imagine what college football would have been like for you at alabama if a transfer portal existed to where guys didn't have to sit out an entire year
4: man i can't imagine it is so brand new uh that you know guys are seeking opportunity i I understand why it was put in place for guys to seek uh "Quote unquote, better opportunities at a different institution." Um, you know, when it comes to NIL, guys getting paid for their, for well, their name, image, and likeness, and um, I understand that, and I'm excited for those guys. Um, the, the biggest thing is, I just want to make sure you know you you have rules and regulations in place to 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 make it uh, safe uh, for for young young kids, young adults, um, and their families, and not put them in bad situations. So, man, um, hopefully. Um, is working and know some things that's not working with it with the nil thing and um, they're trying to put things in place to fix it but ultimately it's good because guys are getting getting what they deserve but uh, but also at the end of the day we got to make sure we do it right
2: i agree with you there coach kenny king the head football coach at Daphne High School is he mentioned his Trojans open on a Thursday night coach you'll have an opportunity to be one of the few games in town there if not the only game on the Thursday night I know that that's a great experience it creates a short work week but at the same time it creates a longer work week for you to get ready for Carver Montgomery that following week which will be your first home game and I know trojan nation always shows up and shows out there at daphne high school and i know you being a former trojan you know what it means you're able to share your own personal experiences with every young person that walks on campus no matter what the sport is because you had and walked the same halls as well and i can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here on the final drive and look forward to catching up with you at Baldwin County High School Media Days again.
4: Absolutely, man. Um, thanks for having me, and um, I enjoyed it and I appreciate it.
2: Kenny King, head football coach at Daphne High School, joining us this afternoon on the final drive. We'll be right back.
4: Three, two, one. My name is Robert Brazil. I'm from the class of 2018 Pro Football Hall of Fame. You're listening to WNSP.
2: Welcome back to the Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. And on yesterday, I kind of teased it a little bit in the fact that, you know, I, I get happy when the Super Bowl is over knowing that, Here, we're still going to have football, whether that's XFL, USFL, arena football. I just love the fact that we're still going to have football. And The Rock, you know, he makes over $60 million off of one film, right? The XFL loses $60 million in its inaugural season. But I don't think there's there's room to panic here. I think that you're going to have losses. Now, did I think do I think that the rock thought there would be 60 million dollars worth of a loss in this league? Absolutely not. But the fact that I think that it's not going to become the literally the X XFL, I think that this league is going to be able to find a way because you're not trying to compete with the NFL. You're just trying to go ahead and give men an opportunity to continue to play football. And whether it's in the Arena League, the USFL, the XFL, I love the fact that we're still having a chance to to let A.J. McCarron see his sons, let his sons get a chance to see him play. Brandon Silvers, you have a chance to see someone from Gulf Shores who is a prolific quarterback at Troy and – not make it in the NFL but still have a shot to continue his football and pursue his dream man you do see those those small stories like a Kurt Warner who comes around and it's probably one out of a hundred to where you he's the one percenter to where you do see that but to continue to see football in March April May and June to hold us over Michael Brauner that that's what it's all about to me and the rock losing 60 million dollars. If it was anyone else, I would say, yes, there would be reason for concern. But one thing you know about Dwayne Rock Johnson, he's going to find a way to make it successful. If it's not in year one, I think he'll keep scratching and clawing. And with the money that ESPN has invested in and these other networks have invested in to the USFL along with the XFL, that it's going to continue to succeed. Who, $60 million, man. Gone. Gone. Now, do I think, you know, again, will he make it back? Probably not. I I think that you're not going to operate in the green if you're the USFL. If you're the XFL, you're not going to operate in the green. I think the arena leagues, because of how small their arenas are and where they play, I think they can sustain themselves. But Antonio Brown is an Arena Football League owner, and he's struggling for his payroll, Hmm. to pay his payroll. He's offering Cam Newton an opportunity to come and play football in order to draw more eyeballs to it. But it's still football. Would you rather there be that gap, Michael, to where you don't see any football at all from the time the Super Bowl ends until the time college football
3: begins? Well no, I mean, I like that there's football around, but I also understand that you can't operate a a business every year that loses 60 million dollars every year and expect to continue to operate it. So I I you know hope it hope it works out for him. I don't necessarily know that it will though.
2: Well, I, I will say this. I don't think that again, if it was anybody but Dwayne "The Rock" Johnson losing 60 million dollars, yeah, I I think that he says ouch. But not for one minute, do I think that, that he said, all right, here's the blueprint we're going to put in place to have the XFL and to sit there and say, well, I'll, if it loses money after two years, I'm going to fold it up and I'm, 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 we're just not going to do it anymore. But you tell me someone else from an ownership standpoint that can say, all right, I'm going I'm to lose $60 million and still keep swinging for the fences, I don't I don't think there's anybody else in the in the business that's willing to do that. And that's why the Arena League is coming back. But that's why you saw it go away professionally for some four or five years. Because the only thing that really keeps it upright is the television contracts. But the storylines behind it, I think again, the sixty million dollars is exactly, you know, what The Rock is saying to himself. Look. I didn't expect to lose this much. me and my partner business partner, we didn't expect to lose this much. and I know Vince McMahon when he first started the <laughs> XFL. he hate me on the back of the jersey. you know he found a way to brand the game. But again, it, it, it's a different type of football and I don't think it's all broke. I think there are pieces that the NFL are going to implement and imply because some of the some of the model of it works. But when you lose $60 million, again, I don't know anyone else that can try to sustain a business losing $60 million. And I know The Rock, you know, he was he was ready to put The Rock. He's not ready to put The Rock bottom and, and lay the smack down uh, to all the jabronis out there who are ready to to, to, to cut him off and to give it up. But how many XFL games did you watch, Bronner? Yeah, a couple. Not many. All right, so as far as the usfl last year with the birmingham stallions again this year they're still a successful franchise did you watch that
3: one once or twice like it's it just you know doesn't do it for me that much but if it's on I'll, and there's nothing else on i might tune in
2: well the fact that you can continue to bring eyeballs in to to watch it that normally wouldn't be watching is still something different because having a chance to to be seen and spotlighted is just like the g league no attendance is not through the roof in any semi-professional league that you go and watch you just ask the pelicans that in birmingham or when we had it here in mobile but it is still something to go and enjoy as a family entertainment value i like the fact that the rock's sticking with the xfl and i think that he's going to find a way to recoup some of his losses uh but the xfl and the Rock lose $60 million. The 5 o'clock hour coming up here on the final drive. Ty Goodwin joining us here in studio on the final drive for Mobile's Finest segment. Coming up next.
0: It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile. From local rising stars to Hall of Famers, Mobile and Baldwin County have been the starting point for some of the most successful sports figures in history. And now, exclusively on WNSP, we present the ultimate insider experience. Welcome to Mobile's Finest, where we bring you unfiltered and in-depth conversations with the extraordinary athletes and coaches who call the Gulf Coast home and how they became Mobile's Finest. It's a Wednesday
2: edition of Mobile's Finest here on The Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Lebounty, joined by my producer, Michael Brauner behind the glass. And it's a pleasure to be joined by two of Faith Academy's Finest this evening. Of course, Ty Goodwill. Six foot two, 192 pound. I'm going to say first and foremost, a wide receiver class of 2024. And then he plays both sides of the football for Jack French and the Rams. Also a tremendous defensive back. And if you're not careful, you'll get a head tap. From him, meaning he's got that catch and it's seven on seven time. He has his quarterback in the building with him as well. What's a wide receiver without a great quarterback? Jared Daughtry joins us as well here on Mobile's Finest. And, top first and foremost, welcome to WNSP. We've got you signing that Faith Academy Rams jersey. You're a rising senior. This year I know you have to be real excited getting ready here as we're less than probably 55 days from high school football kicking off. Yes,
5: sir. I'm very excited. It's my senior year. So I get to play with my boys one one good time.
2: One last time you're gonna have an opportunity. How many years have you played at Faith Academy?
5: Since my ninth since
2: my ninth grade year. Since your ninth grade year, you've been playing varsity football. For Jack French and the Faith Academy Rams now Ty Goodwill is is one of these wide receivers folks to where when you pop in the huddle film I know that he his numbers are are just eye-popping in regards to his productivity and I know when his quarterback throws it up there he knows that he's got a pretty good wide receiver that's gonna go get it and that's important and and When I talked to you a few months ago, the offers had not started coming in the way that they've kind of picked up here lately. Let our listeners know some of the schools that have gone ahead and offered you.
5: So my first offer was Troy, then I got Jackson State, then I got Marshall, Liberty, North Alabama, Illinois State, Arkansas
2: State. All schools that are showing interest in Ty Goodwill, and I can promise you this it, it, it's just the beginning and scratching the surface of this list. Because if you've seen this young man play, if you've popped his huddle film on, how can people follow you on Twitter or on social media so they can go and check out that great huddle film?
5: So, my Twitter is Ty Goodwill, my Instagram is Tiny
2: dot seven Facebook Tiny Goodwill. So Ty Goodwill is our guest on here Mobile's Finest. And when when you when you start working hard, do do you think do you enjoy playing offense or defense more? Is there a particular favorite that you have? Because for Jack French and the Rams and the tough region that you're in, you do have to play both ways.
5: So really, I really don't have a favorite. So if I say I like playing both, but when it comes down to anything, I like playing defense.
3: Ty, when it comes to your recruiting process, I'd be curious, to know, like, have these schools that have reached out to you, do they talk to you about any kind of plan as, in terms of whether you would be a two-way player, whether you would play offense, whether, whether you would play defense? Like, Is that a factor in your in your recruitment at all?
5: Right now my recruitment is basically defense, safety, corner, anything, nickel.
2: So. It doesn't matter what side of the football you see him on. When you see Faith Academy and the Friday night lights come on, I know you brought your quarterback with you. Mr. Jarrett is in the building with you. What what's it like? I saw some some highlight films of him throwing a couple of balls when you guys went to Mississippi State. Yes. And and I've seen some some footage of the seven-on-seven seven at South Alabama what's it like catching Mr. Jarrett's spirals?
5: I mean, it feels great. You know, I've been playing, playing with him since I was 10, so we got really got the chemistry. So he's just a great quarterback in my eyes. I don't care what nobody say.
2: And, and that's what, what you have to have. I mean, to be successful, whether it's at wide receiver or whether it's being an offensive player that, that you are, I know that having a great quarterback is always – a bonus. Now, when when you're playing defense, and you, most of your recruiting has come from a defensive side of the football so far, let's talk about what you're looking for because you're you're playing with with someone that you've been with a teammate with since ten years old. When you're trying to to, to lock up. A wide receiver. With you playing wide receiver, do you think that's an advantage for you already knowing what the route may be or what the weakness of the wide receiver is that you're going to be playing against?
5: Yes, sir. Definitely, definitely. Just watching his hips, his movement,
2: and then just watching the quarterback watching the eyes, for real. Watching the eyes are, are very important. Now, when when you play with with Jack French, Coach French is is one of my old school buddies. He's he's an old-school coach, and he's won everywhere he's been. And you would think Coach French, the way he carries himself, would be mild manners. But in the heat of the battle, have you ever had a chance to stand next to Coach French or get fussed at Coach French and watch him turn it up to the color of the Faith Academy jersey? Yes, sir, definitely. It's something different when Coach French turns it up, isn't it? Yes, sir. When he does fuss, what what does he normally fuss at you about when he gets on to you? What what is his what is his biggest gripe when he's talking to Ty Goodwill?
5: Making sure I'm catching the ball before I run, for sure, and not switching the balls while I'm running, like each hand.
2: I know that that's that's a critical part of it, and and I'll let you get your quarterback here on a little bit of action. And Mr. Jared Dartrey, I I know that. You're coming up and you're having an opportunity to 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 play at Faith Academy. You've been playing with Ty Goodwill since 10 years old. Talk to us about the relationship and the bond
6: that you have with your wide receiver. I mean, ever since we were 10, we've been having a lot of chemistry ever since then. And then we just been getting at it.
2: This coming year, what are the expectations for yourself?
6: Uh, last year, I threw for... 2,300 I'm trying to make it 3,000 yards and then about 25 30 touchdowns this year
2: that's what I, I love and you guys have an opportunity to wear offensively and defensively every single year since you've had an opportunity to play quarterback you guys made it all the way to the semifinals last year what did you learn from that loss or or does that loss in the semifinals still motivates you guys to go into the offseason and continue to work hard to want to know what it feels like to end your season as state
6: champions oh it's gonna motivate us it's been ever since the end of that game when we lost last year we've been motivated to get to the state championship ever since
2: now i've seen some some highlight films of you here recently let's talk about the camps that you guys have been able to go to this summer. Do you play multiple sports yourself?
6: No, no, sir.
2: Just straight football is quarterback is what you're playing for, the Faith Academy Rams and Jack French. And talk about the camp that you had at Mississippi State and and some of the other players outside of of Ty Goodwill that you have that are, are helping you out a lot.
6: When I went to Mississippi State, I had TD, my other wide receiver, and then me and him were on chemistry there, too. And all the other ones that I didn't know, we were just on lockdown. We we were doing real good.
2: I know it, it's a fun situation to, to be at Faith Academy and knowing that, you know, class of 24 has its last ride. And talk to us about what Faith Academy means to you and, and Coach Jack French. Faith Academy, it
6: means a lot to us, actually. I mean, everyone. There, we're gonna go our separate ways. We know that, but we're still gonna keep in touch.
2: And I'll, I'll throw it back to Ty. Ty, I know that you mentioned coming into your senior season, that this is this is the last hurrah. This is the last ride. For you, your personal goals that you have. I know last year you made a lot of noise and made a lot of people realize that, hey, look, if if you're going to throw in my direction, if you're going to have an opportunity to play against me, then you're going to make somebody pay for it. What is this senior – what are your goals for this senior year? This
5: year is really just to go out there and play as a team, help the young because we're going to be really young. So just be great. Make our school proud.
2: Now, talk to us about your family. I know your dad is one of those guys who really has been a motivator for you and has really pushed you a lot and and has helped your growth as a football player. Talk to us about what you've learned from your dad and and what he means to you.
5: My dad, he means a lot to me. And I actually learned that one day I'm going to be a man. So if I don't don't do right right now, what I'm going to do when I'm a man one day I'm going to have a family. So he just teaches me how to be a man at all times. Shout out to your dad and, and, and call,
2: it, call his name so he can hear. He can get that love on the radio too. His name, Tineen Ward. Tineen Ward getting a little love here for Mobile's Finest. And I, I know, Michael Bronner. I don't know if you had a chance to see Faith Academy play last year, but, but number seven. Is definitely one on the radar that a lot of people are going to be talking about for sure.
3: Yeah, I didn't get a chance to get out to Faith Academy this past year. I'm hoping definitely to get some games this year with two guys like uh, like we have in studio right now. I mean, man, why uh, why would you not to want to go watch those Rams?
2: Yeah, and, and here's here's what you also have, Ty. We talked about from a personal goal standpoint. Is there is there a number? that you have that you want to try to reach from a receiving touchdown standpoint? I'm going to try to have 1,200 yards. 1,200 yards receiving. Now, is, is there a number of interceptions that you want to try to have from a defensive back standpoint? At least eight. At least eight interceptions on the season. Now, here's the question I have for you too, Ty. Do you love hitting or being hit? Which one is it? I love hitting. I do not like being hit at all. He does not like being hit, folks. And, and that means from the wide receiver standpoint. A lot of wide receivers do not like being hit. <laughs> it opens opens yourself up. Now, I know, Jared, has he ever thrown a ball? You can go ahead and, and put him on the spot here. Has your quarterback ever thrown a ball that, that really exposes you to where you're ready to take that shot in the ribs and you come back to the huddle like, man, I, I love it. I love the fact that, that you were nice to your teammate there. Now, now let's talk about the chemistry. You said you guys played together since you were 10 years old. Yes, sir. And I know growing up, you probably played multiple sports, not just football growing up. You probably played. Did you play any baseball, basketball or track or was football always the focus of what you wanted to get done? It was just football. Just football is your love. And again, you can see from his offers from the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, or when you start talking about his other offers, just most recently here by Troy. I think that you'll start to see that this young man continues to put in the work, Illinois State, North Alabama. I know we had Coach Dearman on. You also look at Liberty and Marshall as well. A lot of Sunbelt Conference schools showing a lot of love, and I think it's just probably a matter of time before South Alabama says, look, you know, he, he, here's someone on film and tape that's really making us pay attention to what we're doing. Do you have a dream school? I know Michael Bronner is an Alabama graduate, and I know that there there's certain schools that kids dream of playing with. And it normally it's the team that has a lot of success. This year recently, you see kids wanting to play for Georgia. When I was growing up, it was kids wanting to play for Alabama and Miami, and also Nebraska. Those teams that were, were very successful And growing up, do you have a dream school that if they came and offered you today, you would you would without question, probably be ready to sign on the dotted line? Oregon, Oregon. See, that's a school that has probably 75 or 85 different uniform color combinations. What 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 is it about? Oregon is it the way that they play is is it the fact that it's on the west coast and the and the pack different conference having an opportunity is it the uniforms what what draws you to Oregon I mean it's just different
5: so you like most everybody want to play for Alabama yeah I LSU Georgia
2: yeah, I just want to be
5: different. I want to play for a team that's different.
2: I, I like the fact that you understand that, that you know, it, it doesn't have to be right here in your backyard. Of course, there's nothing wrong with being offered by Power Fives at all. But going to the West Coast, we've had several players that have gone off to Southern Cal and gone on to Oregon and, and been very successful in their careers. And I know that What so far is your most fondest high school memory? Going into your senior year, I know you wish to make a lot more. Would it be one of the playoff games that you've had? It wasn't a playoff game. It was definitely
5: when we beat St. Paul's this past season because we never beat them. So, like, that day we beat them. It was like history to our school.
2: So so making history at Faith Academy by defeating St. Paul's is one of your biggest accomplishments. Let everybody know what kind of playoff performance that you had here last year. I know it was pretty special in regards to to what you were able to do and the type of numbers that you were able to put up at the end of that game. Is it one of those that where you had a lot of, Touchdown receptions, two or three in a game. Was it one to where you've had one or two interceptions? What What was, outside of St. Paul's, your most memorable moment from a playoff standpoint? Ufala game. Ufala. Tell everybody out and our listeners what you were able to do against Ufala.
5: I had three touchdowns.
2: Three had- touchdowns against Ufala in a playoff game. And were those thrown by, by the quarterback sitting to the left of you? Most definitely. And and talk about those three touchdowns. Were they twenty yard touchdowns? Were they thirty yard touchdowns? What kind of what kind of touchdowns were they? So
5: one touchdown I had, it was a pick six. The other touchdown was a, a go route that my quarterback threw. And the other one was
2: like an out route. So you were able to score offensively and defensively in a playoff game from a defensive pick six and also from a receiving standpoint. Yes sir. And that's what I'm talking about. That that's the type of playmakers that we have here in the 251 for sure. And again as as we wrap up Mobile's finest here, can't thank you enough for jumping on with us and joining us and and wish you the best in your senior season. Here at Faith Academy, you and Jared Daughtry, both your quarterback, joining us here on Mobile's Finest in the Final Drive. Thank you so much for coming in. And again, check out how can people follow you on social media?
5: Twitter, Ty Goodwill, Instagram, Tinyen.seven, and Facebook,
2: Tinyen Goodwill. Jared, how can people follow you as well on social media? Because again, you're the QB1 getting it done for Faith Academy.
6: On Facebook, it's Jared Daughtry, Instagram. Jarrett underscore Daughtry 84 and Twitter Daughtry 20.
2: That's what I'm talking about. We have two of Mobile's Finest from Faith Academy joining us this afternoon on the final drive. We want to thank everyone for tuning in here on the final drive. We covered everything from Nick Saban exercising at his camp to the highest earning revenue to of course the Stanley Cup the champions in the vegas golden knights we talked a little malik cunningham playing wide receiver instead of quarterback and also talked about auburn's football commits that they had one from right here at baker high school in bryce kane so we want to thank everyone for tuning in of course next we'll have michael brauner he's going to throw it deep on his wnsp now podcast we'll talk to you again tomorrow
1: Hey, this is Jimmy Ripple from Gator Boys, and you're listening
4: to WNSP on 105.5.